Welcome to Talk About Talk with Dr. Andrea. In this podcast, we will learn about all things communication. Listen as Dr. Andrea and the experts she interviews share their expertise. Let's do this. Let's talk about talk. Hey there. Welcome to Talk About Talk. I am Dr. Andrea Wojnicki. You can call me Andrea. Today, we focus on reimagining your personal and professional brand. In very simple terms, You can think of this as identity or reputation management. In this episode, I will define professional brand and share some real, tractable ideas for how you can manage and evolve your professional brand for the better. In a moment, I will introduce Michael Boydell, a global speaker, program leader, and advisor to high-performance CEOs, leaders, and teams. Michael shares many valuable insights on how to effectively reimagine your brand. First, though, definitions. You may have noticed that I am being inconsistent with my terminology here, referring to both personal and or professional brands. One of the most important tenets of personal or professional branding is that to be truly effective, your brand needs to be authentic and true to your identity. That means that distinguishing between personal and professional brand is generally a moot point. At least it should be. So for argument's sake, I'm just going to say professional brand from here on. What we are talking about here today is managing your reputation or your identity and employing brand management frameworks to help you do so. Tom Peters, the author of the famous 1997 Fast Company magazine article entitled The Brand You Said, You Are the CEO of You Inc. At the time, I was working as a brand manager at Kraft. I remember buying the issue and being truly affected. Peters introduced the notion that just like marketers manage their brands, we as individuals can also manage our own professional brands. Sounds like a viable framework, right? Smart and maybe even obvious to marry reputation management and brand management. 40 years earlier, though, in 1956, sociologist and social psychologist Irving Goffman published his dissertation in the form of a book entitled the presentation of self in everyday life. In this book, he described how people seek to affect their impressions by playing with setting, appearance, and manner. He also used the analogy of theatrical performances, which you will hear more about from our guest Michael Boydell. People act in various contexts, not necessarily to deceive, but rather to encourage a particular interpretation, just like an actor would. In the Brand You Fast Company article, Peters similarly highlights how our reputations are affected by props, such as the coffee you're drinking, the bag you're carrying, what you order for lunch, and yes, the lines or the words that come out of your mouth. Just as brands seek visibility in the marketplace, Peters also suggests making your own personal feature benefit proposition or that unique thing about you that helps the firm or helps others become more visible. Furthermore, he encourages us to get and use power. And most importantly, forget the org chart and the accepted career path. Forge your own. Well, not everyone agreed. In 2005, Fast Company published a response to Tom Peters' article entitled Me, Inc. The Rethink by David Lidsky. In this bluntly critical article, 
Litsky highlights that employers certainly do not want renegade employees. In Litsky's words, corporations don't want Lord of the Flies playing out in their cubicles with an army of personal brands battling the corporate one. He even states that the only person to truly benefit from the brand you may have been Peters himself. Clearly, though, Tom Peters' personal branding idea got a lot of traction. Academics examined this notion of branding our careers from anthropologists to sociologists and marketers. A few of these papers trace the evolution of the self-improvement genre, predating Peter's article with Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People and Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Remember those? Several of the articles I found highlighted that in our quest to create and maintain the ideal professional brand, we actually may be accidentally objectifying and commodifying ourselves. They also highlight that the upshot of the personal branding movement is that we should be seeking two things. Can you guess what those two things are? Uniqueness and authenticity. Yes, of course, I want to be authentic and I want to be unique. Makes sense to me. Before I introduce Michael Boydell, I also want to highlight this idea of connecting brand management with professional identity is even more relevant now with social media. Think Donald Trump. Think Kardashian. Hmm, these are examples of personalities that have done an exemplary job of managing their professional brand, whether they did so consciously or not. And yes, your professional brand is both conscious and non-conscious. Michael Boydell points out that we are all influenced, whether we want to be or not, and whether we are aware of it or not, by our upbringing, by our parents and other role models, by our experiences, and by our surroundings. So be it baggage or be it inspiration, all of these things affect us. We aren't launching a brand new product from scratch here. No, we have constraints. That said, consciously and strategically, we can work to create or perhaps relaunch an image, a reputation, a professional brand that is authentic, unique, and ideal for us. This idea of reimagining your ideal professional brand requires a lot of deep self-talk and intense work. I happen to know of someone who can help us with that. His name is Michael Boydell. Let me introduce him to you now. Michael earned his BA in psychology and history from Queens and his MBA from Western. He built up valuable work experience as a corporate executive, business builder, and strategist with companies such as Ernst & Young, Yahoo, and HotJobs.com. He also completed formal training as a board director through the Altruvist Board Match Leaders Program at Schulich Business School, and he is an experienced board member. Since 2009, Michael has dedicated his professional life to understanding and serving the unique needs, challenges, and opportunities of CEOs around the world. To further supplement his hands-on experience, Michael also earned advanced certification in Tilt 365 and Berkman Method Leadership Tools. Michael also delivers high-impact training programs and retreat experiences to YPO chapters, forums, and members as a highly rated certified forum facilitator. He has served hundreds of leaders and teams around the world through individual coaching assignments, team and talent engagement initiatives, and strategy planning offsites. His passion is helping leaders spark that deeper connection with their own brilliance as they strive for achievement, impact, and fulfillment. To further keep himself out of trouble, Michael is also a volunteer elite youth basketball coach and an active triathlete. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, Michael, for being here. 
Thank you. My first question is to ask you to define what do we mean by personal brand? Some people like to think in a holistic sense in terms of how they show up, what they look like, what they sound like. And, and some people spend a lot of time kind of consciously seeking to emit a certain brand right. for a certain purpose, which may or may not be conscious to them. I, I tend to think of our professional brand as something that we maybe start to explore, uh, of course, depending on individual age and stage, but it's kind of like by your early 20s, you know, that's a concept that maybe somebody has introduced us to or given us a book to think about. And, and we start to think about who are we from a career perspective? Who, who are we as a professional? Um, how do we want to show up in the world? And we tend to go into our, let's say, mid-20s with some idea of what we want to pursue and explore as a professional brand. The fascinating part to me is that we are probably unconsciously carrying with us essentially a download of what the world has already taught us our professional brand should or should not be. So we, we kind of enter that period of our lives thinking it's a blank sheet of paper and we can start creating a professional brand, but we are already bringing with us a whole lot of kind of source material based on our upbringing, based on early life experiences, based on our parents and what they did career-wise or what they didn't do career-wise. I think oh, there's so much to unpack there in terms of what you just said. So there are implicit influences going on all around us that we very likely are not conscious of, but sometimes we are, that are influencing our professional brand. And then also, I think you're right, in your 20s, we both have teenagers in our homes and they're starting to think about, well, how am I presenting myself to universities that I'm applying to? What does my brand say? And then that's going to continue for the rest of their careers, right? No matter what stage they're at. Yeah, and it's, it's a great point. Those teenagers in our homes are, are being influenced by our definition of what it should or shouldn't be. And so we're steering them in a certain direction with the intention of helping them, but we are already unconsciously kind of directing them in a way to start shaping their own professional brand in an image that we think they should. That, that's part of this fascinating kind of undercurrent that we bring out to the world. Right. So there's implicit and explicit influences on our professional brands. Let's maybe create a bit of a list of what some of the influences are. So you said your upbringing, the values and the role models that you have in your household would be one. Yeah, certainly parental role models, what our parents did, and what value we attribute to that. And, and inherent in that is the value they attribute to that, right? So if I watch as a teen, if I watch my father, if I watch him come home exhausted on edge, you know, then I'm going to attribute certain things to that career choice. And the, the opposite is also, of course, true. If I see him come home joyful and full of spark and energy, then I'm going to associate those attributes with that particular professional brand. I think about my own example of um, entering university and I wanted to be a child psychologist. I had no idea really what that career path was. I didn't have kind of role models in my life that were psychologists, but I thought, oh, that would be 
interesting to pursue. But in my first year of university, um, I found myself studying arts and I found myself um, with a focus on sociology and I was also playing uh, varsity basketball. And surprise, surprise, um, both the most influential parents in my upbringing are PhD sociologists. <laughs> surprise, su- surprise, surprise, surprise. Uh, my father was also um, a varsity basketball coach, right? So, like father, you know, like son. We go into the world thinking, "I'm now my own man. I'm now my own person." But we have some work to do before we can untangle all those early influences. Yeah, and there may be genetics there. I'm thinking about how marketers, so brand managers, when they're trying to strategically develop a brand, and interestingly, brand managers employ human. Uh, frameworks on their brands to personify them. So you'll hear, what is the brand personality? You see that human characteristics and frameworks are applied to brands. And here now we're talking about how brand strategy can be applied to us as humans and particularly to us as professionals in managing our career. I'm wondering if you have some advice in managing their professional brand. You you mentioned the word personification. I I work a lot in the field of archetypes and personas. And it's a very simple way to think about how one shows up professionally and, and the brand you want to put out there for the world. The notion of playing a role or or a character and stepping fully into that character. Is, is how I think about professional brands. Let's just play with this. Just pick any career for me. Just pick any career. How about a child psychologist? If we think about a child psychologist, I'll think about it a certain way. But if I think about really playing that role as if it was a character in that kind of method acting school of thought, then I would think about how that person talks, um, how they use their voice, Um, how they communicate, how they use body language, how they set up their meeting space, uh, the clothes that they wear. And and you can kind of take that to the full extent of method acting and really think about what sort of life patterns do they have? How do they study? How do they get better at their craft? How do they run their business? Do they work virtually? Um, Do they write books? Do they do keynotes? Do they do podcasts? So there's, there's infinite number of questions that can be explored as we think about how to create that right professional brand for us. And I think the magic of it all is really to have that very deep internal conversation, not about how do I show up in a way that impresses people by external definitions, but how do I explore that deepest part of me so that I can show up in that child psychologist role as the genuine me. And I do that in a way that no one else can do. I want to go back to that magic and internal concept in a minute, because I think it's incredibly powerful. Just going back to what you were saying in terms of playing a role or a character, it reminds me of a couple of career mantras that I've been exposed to. I heard a lot of dress for success, dress for the job you want, not the one you have. So if Mm -hmm. you're at an organization and senior managers to whom you aspire are dressing with more flair or in more expensive suits, the teaching that I heard was 
dress for the job that you want, not the one you have. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you talked about setting your office in the way that you think your clients or, or maybe your colleagues or perhaps your boss will believe that you are more productive, more successful, whatever. It's interesting. Credible. When, yeah. When I was in academia, there were sort of two different types of offices. There were the clean, crisp, organized offices, you know, in which some very successful faculty members produced incredibly groundbreaking research. And then there were disasters with piles of paper everywhere. They could never find anything. But that actually was part of their brand. People talk about that. They talk about how you keep your office. Yeah. And God forbid we, we get led into those people's homes and then, <laughs> and then we get to see, we get to see really what's going on behind the scenes. And if that's a sort of a staged persona that, yeah. that they are sort of consciously putting out there or yeah. if it's the genuine deal. Yeah. So that, that is always at the back of my mind. It's almost as if people are looking for cues to understand whether someone is the real deal, whether they are truly successful and productive or whether they're playing the part and what is it about what they're doing that's making them successful? Is that just, you know, a byproduct of how they think or are they trying to do something that's not authentic? I'm, I'm actually really interested in the balance or trade-offs between being professional and you talked about method acting, thinking about which archetype are you following? And I, I think many of us are taught that we need to act and be and speak professionally. And then on the other side of the coin, there's the highly valued transparency or being authentic. Can you talk about that balance? There's a beautiful intersection between the externally defined sense of success and the internally defined sense of success. And that's, to me, really what we're talking about is it's very easy and very seductive to find those persons that match our definition and we emulate them. And we do that for all the reasons you mentioned, you know, to be credible, to build business, to charge a higher rate, to be hired into a job. And so those are all those external definitions. And in the work that I do, I typically am working with people that are right at this intersection where that external definition has served them very well. They have achieved great levels of success, but that may not be a fulfilled person or a person who's living in integrity with themselves. And so that intersection is how do I let go of those external definitions of success or external definitions of professional brand? And how do I start to explore more of an internal definition of who I am? And, and to me, the most memorable professionals are the ones that are different. If, if we think about emulating almost like a herd mentality, there would be a certain way that I would be a coach or that I would be an advisor or that I would be an investment banker or I would be a musician. We're likely not to remember the ones that do it the same as everybody else. We are likely to remember the ones that do it very, very differently. And I think that's, that's the example of an individual who has found that and then they have given it their own sense of credibility, not by anybody else's definition. And they're really bringing their unique brand out to the world. And those are the people that, that we remember. Right, because they break through. So I'm really fascinated to explore the idea of maybe following a common definition of success up to a certain point in your career when you have a certain amount of credibility 
and then having the confidence. But at some point, there's like a, a tipping point where I've checked all the boxes, I've conformed, I've demonstrated capability and competency. And now it's time for me to define for everyone else, especially myself, what success is. I wish it were that clear for people. I, I wish it had been that clear in my own life. I have experienced it personally more as this kind of like quiet voice inside of me that's saying, you're more than this, or this isn't all that is you, or that there's a part of me that's wanting to come out. And it's a very challenging transition to make when we have established a certain professional brand and we are faced with now putting that professional brand at risk, which is really goes right back to ego. You know, that ego inside all of us likes to be validated. And so that's the real question. Are we able to step above the ego, put that ego aside, really test, is that ego true to who I am at, at the most conscious level or not? So I'm hearing storytelling. So you go to a dinner party and someone says, so what do you do and how did you get there? There's, there's a need to have a story of your career, I think. Well, that's an ego need, in my opinion. It's the ego that is needing to feel safe and credible and protected in that environment. How many people have you met at that kind of social function, dinner party, and if you ask them, what do you do, how, how many people would say, you know, I, I kind of still figuring that out. I don't, I don't really know right now. Yeah, it takes I'm, a lot of confidence, doesn't it? It takes a lot of confidence. And that's what I'm saying. It's that, it's that adult confidence that needs to sit above the ego's need to say, here's how smart I am. You know, look at my career success. Look at the clothes I'm wearing. Look at the car I'm driving. You know, look at, look at the package versus just saying, well, here's kind of who I am. Yeah, but to play the devil's advocate a little bit there, I mean, we have an innate need for sense-making, right? Even in our internal dialogue. So say it's not for external consumption, this storytelling. We may have an innate need to say, this is why I did that, and this is how mm -hmm. I, I came to this point. And right now, I, I'm not sure what my next step is going to be, but here are some options, right? And, yeah, yeah th that makes sense. And, and, and that's, to me... It's almost like when we see our favorite actor or actress who is playing out of character or playing out of type. We've watched them in 10 different comedies that we love and all of a sudden they're playing a dramatic role or, or vice versa. And I'm always more fascinated by those kind of transition journeys that people are going on. Right, but I think you're right. A lot of people are uncomfortable with that. They don't want to yeah. see you know, Adam Sandler playing some stoic, dramatic role. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Do you have any insights in people managing their brand online? When I started painting, and I was having a conversation with a co-author of um, one of my published papers, and, mm -hmm. and we had to have a, a byline, you know, this paper was written by Andrea Wojnicki, who graduated from this school, and she's a consultant. And I, he said, why don't you put Ann Painter? And I was like, oh, but then people will think I'm not, <laughs> no, I'm not serious. a credible academic. He said, <laughs> right. who cares? And I said, wow. And he's like, and I don't understand why you don't have that on your byline in your email. 
And why don't you have that on LinkedIn? And I said, wow, I think I'm having an identity crisis. And he said, well, don't you think that now that we're all online and we have electronic signatures and we have our resume basically there on LinkedIn for everybody to consume that we're all having identity crises because we're being forced to be more explicit with our professional identity, our professional brand. So yeah, I, I get that pressure. The approach that I quite deeply believe in, there's so much work to be done before we end up with the label or before we end up with whatever that handle is online. And I, I really encourage some big open thinking and some big open reflection about all these different personas that I have available to me and which ones are appropriate or ready for different situations and which ones I've kind of exhausted and have played out and I'm ready to move on from and which ones do I want to turn up the volume on and right. bring to the surface and, and bring out into the world. So which and, ones may be effective, but probably more importantly, which ones are authentically available to me right now? Yeah, that's it. And, and to me, this relates to how one manages their professional brand within the flow of what's happening in the world. You know, so if I'm going to lock in on a professional brand, because that's the one in this moment I've decided is going to gain me the most credibility, the most likes, uh, the most business, the most referrals, whatever it is, but I don't continue to grow and I don't continue to individuate, so I'm showing who my authentic self is, then the world is just going to pass me by. The world moves so fast that it's just going to pass me by. So to me, one of the great things about the online toolkit is I can continue to explore my brand personally, and I can continue to evolve that brand online. It's available to us as a channel that we can use to continue to evolve our professional brand and not stay stuck. I mean, that's to me the, the beauty of the online world as it relates to one's continued journey of professional brand. But if we just keep it really simple, this is the changing of the seasons. So right. uh, that's kind of how I see the life journey. There is a time to let it rip, you know, and just be out there with all of that great stuff that you are, however you want to position yourself. And, and let's call that summertime mode. And, and you're making hay, right, in that, in that time. And you're enjoying being out there in the world. And then things start to slow down. And you go through that kind of fall harvest. And, and what a beautiful time to reflect and take with you the things that worked and leave behind the things that didn't. And then we get into that very fallow time of year and it's the winter and we go a bit dormant and we really do our deeper nourishing and then we hit that springtime period and we're ready to come out there um, with the next new thing and it's going to be similar to what we've done before but we have that opportunity to continue to tend to the garden um, based on what we we've found has worked and what has not worked and we can just continue that exploration path that's a beautiful metaphor. You're still working in the same climate and the same soil conditions, right? But you've gone through seasons and you have, uh, as we learned in business school, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. And 
you have an opportunity then relaunching, right? Or doing a brand extension. Yeah. And then, and then it's never boring, you know, and you're never stuck. And, and that's what I meant earlier by really being in flow with the rest of the world. You know, you're never out of date. You're constantly adapting and evolving, and as Carl Jung would say, individuating into that next version of, of who you are. Well, that sounds exciting, you know, because I'm sure some people who think about this topic may be feeling a little bit overwhelmed, like, wow, you mean I need to sit down and write down my career as a brand plan? How do I do that? Given what you just said, people may feel a lot more inspired and encouraged about the opportunity. Can I ask you, how would you encourage people to, and maybe how do you in your own practice encourage senior managers to explore that in an explicit way? Is it actually a blank sheet of paper? Do you have frameworks? How, how does that work? I think the blank sheet of paper is the place to start. And, okay. and, if, and if it feels like it's scary, then you're on the right path. There's all kinds of interesting, thought-provoking, stimulating exercises. But, you know, just sitting with a blank page and answering the question, uh, who was I and, and who am I? You know, I, I, I often will remind myself or, or tell clients, you know, unless you know something I don't know, you get one shot at this life thing. And unless you know something I don't know, um, you know, your last day on earth is, is not up to you. So what is it you really want? Wow. And, and just let's start talking about that and let's start writing it down. And, and then let's start talking about what are you willing to do to get that? And we start crafting a sense of who I am and what I want, what I'm willing to do. And then we really come full circle into choice. And, and, and I'm a huge proponent of the power of choice. And, and then I'll use a, one of my favorite Rudyard Kipling quotes, which is, if we don't get what we want, it's a sign that we either didn't really want it, or we, or we tried to bargain over the price. Right. I, right? I and so, Yeah. So it's easy. It's easy to dream on this stuff. But the rubber hits the road where we have a list of what we want, we have a list of what we're willing to do, and we need to make choices. The blank sheet of paper exercise, what you're actually asking people to do there is to define their definition of success without the scary question of how do you define success? Exactly. And, and simple questions like, you know, when do you feel most alive? Uh. Um, where do you feel most alive? With who do you feel most alive? When do you feel most alive? Where do you feel most alive? Ah, so I, I got the who, where, what, when, why, and, and how you feel most alive. Yeah. Is that, yeah. That's also a beautiful framework that I, I think I'm going to go and do later. Um, talk to me a little bit about the, the three handles exercise. I'll give our listeners a couple things to play with. So if one is at that kind of career crossroads point, going out and asking people, as opposed to sitting and defining yourself, if you had three words to describe who I am, what would those three words be? And ask. That's a scary pe- exercise. Oh, you know, it's an awesome exercise. It's an awesome exercise. And you ask customers and you ask clients and you ask peers. Don't just ask your friends. Don't just ask the people that are you know, in your corner supporting you. Ask a true sample. What are the three words that really rise to the surface? Interesting. 
So those would, I guess they may be roles, but they could be personality traits, right? Yeah, and they, they're often personas, right? They're these sort of archetypes. And I, and I have to share the, the related exercise, which I really encourage people to do. I've done it several times myself, and it's, it's very powerful, is on the personal side, you go back and ask people that knew you in that kind of teenage world that, that we all had way back when. So find people that knew you at age 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, like right in there. And it's best if they don't know you since, right? So you go back and you do the reunion or you look yep. them up on Facebook yep. and you ask them the same question, come up with three descriptors or three adjectives you would use to describe that person you knew then and come up with one story that really comes to mind. And, and when you harvest that kind of data on how the world saw you, that exercise is often a pure glimpse into that true self, that most authentic self. And then if we compare that with where you are today, career aspirations, professional aspirations, now we're getting into that kind of magic intersection between who you are as your authentic self and uh, the adult dreams and, and aspirations you have to make a difference in the world. Right. I see a, a Venn diagram, right, of the adjectives that are generated by your high school friends or peers, and then all of the experiences and expertise that you've collected over the decades, and then in your mind, your dreams and your aspirations, and you plot those down, and then you say, you know, authentically, here's where I could live anywhere in this Venn diagram, but where those three things intersect, I can imagine would be yeah. sort of a powerful target. Well, it's, it's a great audit to do as well because it, it prevents us from fooling ourselves, you know, and then that's the ego game is to pretend that uh, we show up in exactly the way the ego wants us to show up. I'm curious how you've uh, coached, executives that have come to you when they've made a mistake in their career and or when they've identified a trait for example being scattered or maybe it's being too aggressive or whatever it may be something that is a double-edged sword because it's it's attributed to their success but then also they've identified it as something that they don't want to be um, seen as do you have any recommendations for how people can address those most effectively it's frankly one of the knockout questions or criteria that I would use. I want to get to that stuff fast. You know, I want to get, don't tell me about all the successes. Just tell me about, tell me about the struggle. Tell me about the pain. Tell me about the self-doubt. Tell me about how you judge yourself. Tell me about the failure. Right, because they've come to you seeking some sort of transformation in their professional brand and probably mostly in how they see themselves. Yeah, yeah. And, and the way to get them there is to lead by example. And, and that, to me, is, again, the, the authentic part of the work I do. And so that's maybe part of, of the advice I would give to anybody is, is surround yourself with people that are comfortable talking about those things. Um, and, and you'll find it's a way of giving yourself permission right. to explore those. And, and that's how we grow. Okay, I'm going to ask you now the five rapid-fire questions that I ask every guest. Are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, what are your pet peeves? People pretending so hard to be something that they're not. 
and and then catching myself when I'm pretending to be something that I'm not. Oof, so lack of authenticity. Yeah. Okay, second question. What type of learner are you? I'm an experiential learner, first and foremost. So if I can go through the experience, um, that sticks way more than just reading about it. So you were one of those kids that had to learn everything the hard way. <laughs> right? It, the lesson stuck. The lesson stuck. The, the, the more I learned it, the hard way. That's funny. Okay, number three, introvert or extrovert? Um, yes, both. Okay. How does that affect your communication? I get my energy from my sense of self. And so that tends to... That, that sort of pushes me more towards the introversion camp in terms of how I fuel myself. Yeah. When I am fully fueled, then you would see me in an extroverted pattern. But but we would we would miss it if you labeled me an extrovert because the the source of my energy is much more introverted. Uh, so on the shyness scale, you're much more outgoing, right? But on the introvert extrovert scale, in terms of where you get your energy, you're more introverted. That's right. The more extroverted I am forced to be, the faster my batteries drain. Mm, okay. Question number four. I'm curious about your communication preference for, for personal conversations. What's your go-to? Well, communication and authentic communication is, is really one of my core values. So to me, I want as much of the message as possible. And, and I am a big believer in that old study, um, Albert uh, Mirabian, but he published in his 1971 book, Silent Messages, okay. that research on nonverbal communication. Yeah. Where, you know, he's got that 7, 38, 55% rule. So I believe that. I believe that 7% of the communication is the words, 38% is the tone, <clears throat> the pitch. Yeah, uh, and then fifty-five percent body language. Yeah. So, so I'm a deeply intuitive um, person and a deeply intuitive uh, listener and communicator. So I want as much data as possible, and and I want to use as much data as possible in my communication. And so, to me, the in-person piece is the only way to go for authentic communication. Of course, we have all these other channels because, you know, there's times where we can get by with just informing somebody or the facts, but far too often we, we are absolutely fooling ourselves thinking that we've actually had a communication right. by sending an email. Okay, last question. Is there a podcast, a blog, or an email newsletter that you recommend the most? I really like um, Alec Baldwin's podcast, and here's the thing. I, I really like that interview style and, and that interview format. Um, it's become a little more formulaic than in the early earlier days. Yeah, I find that uh, with, with a lot of podcasts, actually. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. They find a formula that works, I Yeah, guess. and maybe it's time for that one to reinvent itself a little bit. You mentioned Tim Ferriss before, and, and, and I really enjoy um, his stuff. I enjoy some of the risks he takes with his podcast. So that's, again, back to the, you know, there's a million podcasts out there, but the one that stands out to me is the one that's kind of quirky and unique and different. Right. 
Right, he does the uh, drunk dialing Q and A. Yeah, right, right. And, and but you know what, his whole focus is on experiments and productivity. So that first word, experiments, kind of right. Yeah, back to what we were talking about in terms of brands and reinventing yourself. He's constantly looking for, I guess, mostly tactics, but even strategies in his life to improve his productivity and his happiness. Right, yeah. right. All right. Well, thank you. And I was wondering if you can share with listeners how they may connect with you. Yeah, the, the easiest way is is by email. And, and that's very simple. Uh, Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L at boydellinc.com. Well, I want to thank you very much for sharing your time and your expertise. And I know I learned a lot and this interview certainly went in directions that I was not anticipating, but that's because you made me think about things that I hadn't. So I thank you for that. Thank you. I I appreciate the opportunity to share some time with you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Michael Boydell. He has a way of inspiring us to dig deep, doesn't he? I've already started filling up my blank sheet of paper and identifying my three handles. Let me briefly summarize with learnings. First, you do have a professional brand, but whether you decide to manage it consciously and strategically is completely up to you. Yes, there is an opportunity to reimagine your ideal professional brand. Fortunately, there are exercises you can run through and tools that you can employ. Why don't you start by updating your social media accounts? Just a suggestion. Second, in addition to the brand management metaphor, You can also consider the metaphor of method acting. Who are your cast and crew? Surround yourself with the people who inspire and support you. And wardrobe? Dress for the job you want, not the job you have. Props and location? Well, what does your office look like and where is it? Consider method acting and all of the cues that you are signaling to others. Last, make no mistake, Reimagining your ideal professional brand requires a lot of time, effort, and deep self-talk. Yes, it can certainly feel overwhelming, but there are some specific exercises that you can try in reimagining your ideal professional brand. Start by taking out a blank sheet of paper. Answer some questions. Where have I been? Where am I now? Then, where do I want to be? Now answer this. Doing what? With whom and where am I most joyful? What makes my heart sing? And when do I feel most alive? You can also try the three handles exercise. Ask people around you and from your past for three labels or adjectives to describe you. You will probably see some common and enlightening trends. Looking at this all together then, where is it that your history, your experience, your personal aspirations, and the three handles intersect? This is where the magic may happen for you. I really hope it helps you. Now, as always, I thank you so much for listening. And yes, I say this almost every week. I do respect that your time is valuable, and I am honored that you are taking the time to listen to Talk About Talk. In this episode, we covered many pointers in terms of how to improve your professional brand. You can easily reference them now or later in the show notes at talkabouttalk.com slash podcasts. I also hope when you're there, you'll sign up for the Talk About Talk weekly newsletter. This is your opportunity to receive one weekly concise email from me highlighting what I think is worth talking about. My goal is to help us all become more effective communicators. Thanks again and talk soon.